0: Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Hina Petroda, founder of Bloom and Belong. Hina works with people to reduce stress and find joy and awe in their lives. This includes taking preventative steps to attend to your whole health, movement, sleep, perspective, food, relationships, and connections, and more. Her approach is compassionate, strengths-based, and rooted in mindfulness through one-on-one coaching, as well as group coaching sessions in mindfulness and self-compassion, as well as supporting people towards their goal of evaluating themselves and meeting their mind, body, and spirit goals. Well, hello, Hina. Thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy and excited to be here because I've been coming to Andersonville since I was in college. And that was a long time (laughs) ago. So you've been here a little while. I've been here a little while. And the neighborhood of course has changed and it just keeps getting better and I love it. I love being around here. I work out here. Um, I wish I could afford a place here. That would be awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One day we'll all end up in all of our our Anderson, our love of Andersonville will all converge in one central block and we'll all end up living in the, we'll take over a block and turn it into like an Andersonville commune where we can all just live in the same place.
1: Perfect. Sounds Uh, great.
0: (laughs) So I always just like to start by having our guests tell us a bit about themselves, their backgrounds, and how you came to found Bloom and Belong.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Wow. So background. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Give me your whole life story. My whole
1: life story. Awesome. You know, it's it's sort of like people will ask, where are you from or what's home? So let me start. My background, I'll start with the simple thing and something I'm most proud of is that I am a mother. I'm a mother of two, two kids. And that is my Joyful, most amazing thing. I'm very proud of it. And I can't imagine a life uh, where I wasn't a mother. Outside of that, um, let's see. I was born in India. I came to the US when I was 12. I had learned a bit of English in India, kind mm-hmm. of like how we take a French class here yeah. and then we go to <laughs> France and we don't understand anything, but bonjour. <laughs> So uh, that's how it Enough was. Enough
0: to ask to go to the bathroom, where's the bathroom or something uh, maybe, like that. Maybe, yeah.
1: <laughs> so that's how it was for me. I remember my first day of class, seventh grade, the teacher said, what is your name? And I was used to learning like, what is your name? And she just said, what's your name? And I had no idea what she said. So, um, yeah, I moved here when I was 12. That was a lot of fun. And then again, after I had my kids when they were two and five, we moved to Singapore, actually, as, as grown ups and adults. And we lived there for 12 years. So that uh, really gave me this perspective of how it must have been like for my parents because my parents came here, of course, as immigrants, and it was really hard for them. They didn't speak the language. They didn't know the culture. Well, that's not entirely true. My dad did speak pretty good English. So, when we went there as a family to Singapore, and we moved with a lot more means and a good job for my husband, it was still pretty challenging to get used to a new culture. Just It's the little details that You don't learn when you visit because you can go visit for a week or two and see if you like to live there, right? Mm -hmm. And you see the big picture, which is great. You see it's beautiful and gorgeous and green and shiny. It's just when you move someplace, you see those little details of, where do I find the organic milk for my kids? Mm -hmm. And how do I get there? And you drive on the other side. And their mannerisms are different. So so there's so many details like that that really make it stressful and, of course, exciting at the same time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I imagine there's a little bit of culture shock, but the culture shock is kind of the exciting part in finding out, you know, especially if you aren't necessarily as familiar with the language being spoken, you really have to do your due diligence and figure out how to adjust your life to these new customs and these new, uh, like you said, even just finding the milk, you know, (laughs) we can't just walk down to the corner store necessarily and find the milk you need. Uh, and then you moved back to, you had mentioned to me earlier that you moved back to the States during the pandemic, right. Or right before the pandemic,
1: (laughs) Ah yes. Excellent timing. We We couldn't have timed it better. We moved in August of 2020 when I believe like US was right in the midst, the height of pandemic and things were shut down. And yeah, so we moved back because my daughter was starting college and we wanted to be closer to her especially with everything that was going on with the pandemic, right? We just, there was no idea how it was going to turn out. Mm -hmm. And in Singapore, they were actually winding down, things were opening. And when we moved here, everything was still shut down. And there were riots and you couldn't leave the house and we couldn't see family. So the whole experience of moving back and how we thought it was going to be to move back home, Mm -hmm. it in quotes, uh, wasn't like that. It was a completely different place. It was different culturally for my kids because they pretty much are more Singaporean, I would say, and they had had to adjust. So there was this whole cycle of what my parents went through and I went through, and then I went through that moving to Singapore, and then my kids went through this moving here. So there's this constant change and transition. And um, so that all leads to, of course, finding bloom and belong yeah I was gonna say this <laughs>
0: sounds like great inspiration for discovering how your passion and love for mindfulness and health and wellness and spirituality if, uh, if spirituality is a good word for it as well yes. too yeah so yeah continue please
1: yeah absolutely so when I was in Singapore of course I I didn't work a couple of different reasons. One is it is more difficult to get employment as an expat. And I had the opportunity to stay home and raise my kids, which was, I felt very uh, fortunate to be able to do that, Mm -hmm. to give them my full attention. So I didn't work. And then once they got a little bit older, they were more independent, which is a lot easier in Singapore to be independent because it is so safe. You can let your 12-year-old get on the train and go to her dance class. Oh, that's great.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's, it's amazing.
0: Especially compared to Chicago. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's a, a little bit different. slight difference.
1: difference. Yeah. <laughs> slight difference. So I had a lot more time on my hands, and I thought, what am I going to do next? I always wanted to go back and get my master's degree. And the natural progression would have been to continue the route in psychology, which is what I have my bachelor's in. Mm-hmm. And I I thought, yeah, I will do maybe marriage and family therapy or something. However, it was this push I got, and I wasn't even aware of it at the time. I was talking to a friend of mine who happened to be a coach, and she asked me what I would say were two important questions. <laughs> One was, what is it that you think about, read about, talk about, pay attention to that. And I realized most of like 80, 90% of what I read was on health and wellness and being happier, being more joyful, being more connected to people. And that's what I read. That's what I talked about. And the other question she asked me too was, what would you enjoy doing if even if it wasn't a career? And this is the answer that I came to. I really enjoy people, helping people and supporting people in finding their best selves. You know, how I think everybody has this inside of them and helping them to bring it out. Because mm-hmm. everybody deserves that, we all want that. And that's how I came to coaching. So then I looked for a really good program. I wanted something that was accredited and thorough program. And I wanted a master's. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I found an excellent program that I'm so happy with still to this day. I look back at everything I've learned and yeah, I got my graduate degree. I got my master's while I was there.
0: And what's the master's in specifically?
1: My master's is in health and wellness coaching okay. with a integrative practices concentration. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, and
0: I figure especially when coming back into the States when you did health and wellness was probably was becoming quite a a much more popular topic after lockdown. And of course, still going through pandemic and everything. August 2020, you said Singapore was opening up. We were not. No. That was not (laughs) a time of revitalization. No. United States. But, well, great, that's wonderful. I mean, that gives us a really good sense of your journey and where these thought processes came from and how you found your passion. I have to say, I love that phrase, think about what you read, what you talk about. And I I want to approach another question with you later on that because I just thought of something. But clearly, you know, as you've spoken to, you have a focus on helping person as a whole, not necessarily focusing on one aspect of health over another, you know? You can have a personal trainer for your physical health. You could have, uh, you know, a therapist for mental health or something of such, but rarely do we ever look at ourselves and focus on us as a whole covering more aspects of our life. So how does that process begin with you and with your clients?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question. And it is important to address the whole, right? Medicine, of course, breaks everything down. You have your cardiologist and you have your eye doctor and all these different things. And of course, that's how medicine works. However, I think it is really important to look at the whole, right? If you, if you had a bad day at work, let's say, which is a basic thing, and you go home and talk to your partner or you're out with your friends, that effect carries over, You can't separate that. So this is something emotional and then it affects your relationships. And if it was at work, you may be not being your most productive self. You may not be doing a good job. And that shows up in if you get a promotion and that affects your finances and that may affect your ability to get the nutritious food you want and that may affect your health, right? So I mean, we can just sort of go down this routine for so many things that ultimately things are so connected and you have to look at the whole. So the way I start with one of the most basic things I do is I have this wheel of life that i go over with people so if you imagine just the wheel like a car wheel Mm -hmm. with spokes and break those down into little triangles and i look at all these different aspects of somebody's life and we we sort of put them on a scale so let's say put it on a scale from zero to ten and we we might look at your career your finance your sleep your movement your relationships and things like that and rate them right so say okay well where do you think your sleep is it's at a 5 and maybe your finances are at a 9 most of the time that wheel isn't going to roll smoothly so to say once we map it out yeah yeah on a, on a chart
0: more like an oval than a, circ- than, a yeah. <laughs> than a than a wheel at the when you start maybe even a rectangle
1: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so you know that sort of gives us an idea of what are the areas to focus on, right? What What is it that we wanna bring up from a four to an eight or five to a 10? And we begin, we begin over there. And of course, through that process, we find out a lot more stuff because coaching is about that. It is about asking powerful questions and digging deeper and asking questions and having conversations that uh, help you to really think deeper about what you want and your goals and really what makes you happy because sometimes what we think brings us joy isn't the thing that brings us joy yeah yeah so well
0: then i kind of want to uh step into uh you know can you explain the difference between Mm -hmm. say coaching therapy mentoring because you've mentioned that you offer Coaching is, is obviously uh, the key word for you, but you've, uh, in a lot of the information I looked at on your site and everything, mentoring comes into play a lot as well. So I'd love to hear from your side of things as the professional what the difference between those aspects of wellness are.
1: Sure, that's a, that is a great question because I think there's always some confusion, right? If, a lot of times I will get a client and they basically think that I'm a therapist, which I'm not. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so the therapist would focus on your past, sort of dig into that past and uncover whatever that it was that went, that you might have gone through. And they look at that past to improve your present, to again get you back to that normal in coaching, what we do is instead of uncovering, it is a process of discovering. We look at the present, where you are, and we look at where you want to go. So let's discover what is it that you want? What does this ideal look like? How do you want your health to look like? Right? Where do you want to be in five years, 10 years, in uh, 20 years? So we are looking at what is possible for you. Mm-hmm. It is a very, it can be very exciting to sort of plan this out, which is something we don't allow ourselves time to do. And I
0: imagine, um, it's funny, because that makes me think, you know, one of my least favorite, say, interview questions is, where do you see yourself in five years? And <laughs> I think after after the pandemic, a lot of it has sort of, that's. it's an idea that's been readjusted of, I see myself, paying my rent and eating food which is of course a great base minimum of course but uh i i feel like there's probably a difference in what you work with in terms of not thinking about where you want to be five years just from a career standpoint you can't just look at it that way because then you're siloing your career from the rest of your health and if you're completely focused on career and you're selling yourself to it are you really happy and healthy in the rest of your life? So for yes. you, it seems like it's less about where do you see yourself in five years in terms of success and more about what do you want to feel like in five years? What do you want to feel like in 10 years?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's really well said. It is about how you want to feel. And it is that whole picture because we don't we don't take into account how it is that we are going to feel if we have this in the career or if we have that house or if we move here or there. So really taking a look at how you wanna feel is important. And again, looking at the whole picture, we would we would look at, well, if you had this career, what would your day look like? Where would you fit in your relationships? And is exercise important? Where would you put that in? And would this affect your sleep? How mm-hmm. stressful would it be, right? So- And yeah. I
0: imagine, you know, I'm always going to be upfront and say I'm a very indecisive person. And especially when it comes to when it comes to major life decisions, it's it's even sometimes when it seems obvious, it's not necessarily obvious. And I could see, you know, working with you and doing coaching with you you know, making, uh, you know, especially say it came to a job, the financial aspect might be a huge part of is the biggest part of that decision, maybe. But I could see working with you making it easier to weigh out those decisions to weigh out how this would be good. Sure, this would be good for me financially here. But is it good for me mentally? Is it good for me from a, a physical standpoint? Is it good for me from, uh, you know, just uh, the consideration of me as a whole person? I feel like we get we, as I said, get siloed into making decisions based on one criteria, as opposed to thinking about ourselves as a whole. Absolutely. Um, so that brings me back to actually that phrase of th- what do you think about? What do you read? What do you talk about? Because obviously, you know, things like reading or, you know, uh, the discussions we have with friends and partners and family are how we sustain. You know, you talked about having a bad day at work and sometimes I just need to have a drink with my friends and vent right. <laughs> about it. But I've also found that I pursue certain books that I want to read or mm-hmm. I pursue certain TV shows that I want to watch, but I sometimes I start a book or I start a TV show and I think this is just making me depressed or yes. this is this is not necessarily putting me in the mood that I I want to be in but can be strange because maybe it's something I enjoyed doing for years or enjoyed reading for years. So is a part of, I'm curious if maybe a part of your coaching and a part of what you talk about is the media that you expose yourself to and how that affects your thought process. Is that, would you say that that's relevant to the work that you do?
1: I think it is absolutely relevant because the media that we consume, the amount of information that we're exposed to really does have an impact on our emotional health, our mental health, for sure. Mm -hmm. And we are doing it maybe unconsciously a lot of times. We're just used to watching the news because we have this identity that I'm well-informed and I have to know everything that's going on without realizing the impact, especially when we went through something like the pandemic or things that continue to happen currently, right? Yeah, yeah. It is impacting our nervous system to constantly have this, be exposed to all the things that are going wrong. And that's what makes the news, of course. So that's what you see in the news. And we don't get that opportunity to focus on things that are going well, people that are doing good things, because that doesn't make news. No, we don't open that up. (laughs) So
0: So part of what uh, I imagine you might do is help lead someone to expose themselves to stimuli that are more positive and more reinforcing, because we can't avoid the bad news, but we can certainly do what we can to counter it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have just to help you to think about, bring that awareness to what you're exposing yourself to and how does that make you feel?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious now that we've sort of gone over the difference between coaching and mentoring and therapy. I'm curious what misconceptions you think people have about coaching as a whole, the process, the profession. You know, if you could bust some myths about about coaching for me, I'd be very curious to know.
1: (laughs) So- More than myths, I would like to say that coaching, especially nowadays, coaching is, of course, not as uh, old in profession as uh, therapy. So people nowadays, you find programs that'll say three-month coaching certification or six-month coaching certification. So there is this conception that you can become a coach because you give good advice Mm. and That is a misconception. People think, I will come to a coach and you're going to tell me what to do. You're going to give me advice. I don't know how to do this, so tell me what to do. So the biggest thing I would say is coaching is not about giving you advice. Coaching is, I think, I would say we all know what to do, but how to do it and getting there is a huge gap. Mm -hmm. So in coaching, I can take you from, I know I need to do this. I know I need to stop consuming negative media. I know I need to start working out four days a week. My doctor said I my, you know, HDL is low or LDL is high. And we can know that we need to do this. However, getting ourselves to do it is it's that gap we have to cross. Yeah. And coaching helps you to cross that gap with your own internal motivation, with what works for you. So I can tell you how to do it. But that is probably not going to work. Most of us don't like to be given advice. We are not motivated by even knowledge, by reading about, if you work out five days a week, this is great for you. Great. Well, that knowledge doesn't give you the motivation to go work out.
0: Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Motivation is definitely the big thing.
1: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So I think in, in coaching, that is a misconception perhaps that people have about, um, giving advice. And when you, I would also like to add that if you work with a coach, right, because of what I said earlier, that it's easy to get a certification in three months, six months, or people feel I have opened um, a business and maybe I can coach somebody in opening a business. That is more mentoring, of course, but coaching, just like therapists are licensed, Coaching does, there are certain certifying bodies that will hold coaches to ethics and standards of care and levels of education and continued education. For example, I am a national uh, board-certified health and wellness coach, which is the national NBHWC. There's also the ICF and there are international certifying bodies that hold coaches to a standard as well. So it's important to know who you're working with. You know, you're putting yourself, making yourself vulnerable. Under someone's care. So you need to work with somebody who does have the education qualification. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it
0: is kind of, uh, I know you offer free consults for for uh, your work too, which is definitely one of the things people should take advantage of because yes. it'll give them an idea of what working with you would be like too. Yeah. Um, so, but there is that due diligence that you can do to find someone that, you know, has the legitimate you know, know-how, experience, education, knowledge to really do the best work for you.
1: Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: that's great. That's good to know because I think sometimes you think we, we think of a coach and just uh, exactly. I used to think of who could give me the best advice. And <laughs> yeah. generally, my mother would give me the best advice, but <laughs> she's not always right. She's yes. not educated. That yes. sort of thing. <laughs> She just wants what's best for me. But wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. So I guess uh, one of my next things is just common health complaints that you hear from people these days. You know, I it's, it's crazy. Every time we record a podcast, and I almost hate coming back to it every time, but COVID has uprooted our lives to such a major degree that, you know, I I imagine, uh, you know, I, I spoke to uh, Big City Optical, Socorro mm-hmm. from Big City, and she mentioned that eye conditions are complaints that people have had more since COVID happened. So I'm mm-hmm. curious what you've noticed, not just because of COVID, but what are some common complaints that you feel people are coming to you with more often now?
1: Sure. And I agree. It is um, it is something you may come back to, but it is it is very poignant and significant during these times. So I would say people don't generally come to me directly with a health complaint. I feel that they the health complaints they people end up waiting, right? They wait till something really goes wrong and maybe they go to a doctor. However, people come to me maybe a little more vague about about not feeling well or wanting to change their habits or behaviors. And through the work, we see that there are health complaints. And I would say a big one is stress. Oh, yes. People don't know that they're stressed or they feel that they're stressed and really don't have time or inclination or can't do anything about it we're just stressed we have to work we have no time and we keep going and going and going and then the stress has physiological effects Mm -hmm. of course so those turn into the health complaints right it's all the results from stress i keep i mean i keep seeing different figures but it's 70 anywhere from 70 to 90 percent of doctors visits have stress as a factor contributing factor in those health complaints
0: yeah yeah i I think we've all been feeling significant much more significant levels of stress too and it's it's funny you go uh the the funny joke in the medical world was you go on webmd and type in any sort of uh, any (laughs) symptom you have and stress is always included in there it's like it's automatically in there yes so i mean you know one of the things that i know people can have trouble with is like you just mentioned mm. identifying that they're having an issue or yeah. uh you know or even they they you know, if someone's aware of their body, they can say something's wrong. I don't know what it is, but something's wrong. Right. So what insight or maybe flags that you can offer for people to look out for, to think, to realize, help realize, to sit down, look at their lives and say, oh, this is a problem I'm having, or this is something I didn't realize is bothering me. Sure. Um, if there's anything you can offer in terms of resources for that.
1: Sure. I And that's important, right? To be able to recognize, if we don't recognize, we don't go in for help. I would say looking at, just looking at all the different factors, which is looking at that whole picture again, your feelings, maybe your thoughts, how you feel physically and how you are in relationships would be four big things, right? If you are feeling this anxiety your stress, as we said, just not feeling yourself, just taking a moment to think about what is it? Or if your thoughts are constantly turning to the same thing, maybe you're just ruminating over and over, you're not um, you're not sleeping well, especially if you are ruminating and stressed, it's going to affect your sleep, your ability to fall asleep and get good sleep. So if you're not sleeping well, all of a sudden, you know, any sudden changes, of course, your eating habits, maybe you were always hungry at three times a day, and now you just haven't felt hungry in the last two or three days. Or, of course, physical symptoms are what usually people uh, pay attention yeah, to, right? Yeah. <laughs> that takes you to l-
0: need help. Well, I guess uh, uh, coming off of that, I'm curious, you know, like you said, it's difficult to, to see those, those markers, those flags of, uh, you know, what's bothering us. It came back. Yeah. Uh, the, yes. uh, but, you know, I think we attribute, uh, like, if we're not sleeping well or we're not eating, we just attribute it to either work. Or something going on, and we say, "Well, that's just how it is because I'm stressed." But and we don't necessarily think there's anything we can do about it. Yes. So uh, I I definitely have been in that position before, (laughs) where I thought, "Hey, this is just my life. This is just how it is." So, would you? Is there? Have you seen something like people just having sudden changes in appetite, or or is that uh, or a, a sudden mental or physical change that seems to have come out of nowhere that they don't even realize is stemming from some stressful stimulus in their life. Does that make sense?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think it it may be all of a sudden for somebody, however, if they're paying attention and if there's that awareness, it probably isn't all of a sudden. It is probably a slow built, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe you aren't sleeping for one one day a week and like, "Ah, that's fine, I'm good. And then it goes to two days a week, but you've already made small adjustments you know, just, just like behavior change towards a positive, there's a small changes that happen towards a negative, And you don't even realize until all of a sudden one day, can I tell you a story? Yeah, that, please. Because, That's why that we're here. To, this is Anderson. Um, These
0: are our stories. That comes to <laughs> mind
1: because, you know, all the things I talked about about how we uh, moved countries and I've lived in different places and stress is certainly a part of that, right? And I've done my best to to deal with it. I've worked out eaten healthy. And one of the other reasons I probably came into this work also relating to what we were just talking about was one day in Singapore, I woke up and I could not hear from my right ear. Oh my gosh. I could not hear. It was very shocking. So I went to the doctor, it was a weekend, went to the doctor and he said, you have sensory neural hearing loss. And my system, yes, that's what I thought. It. What? <laughs> what is that? Um, my system, all of a sudden, I felt shut down. And I did not hear anything he said after that because it was really shocking and frightening. And I know he said, well, it really doesn't ever resolve. And that was a horrific moment. I know people have really, really horrific moments in their lives. So I don't mean to diminish anything of that. But for me personally, I have been pretty healthy. I felt like I had been taking care of myself. So to experience that was really terrifying, so to say, to not be able to hear. You don't know where the sound is coming from. You don't have this binaural hearing I think is that the word Mm -hmm. so you felt like you're underwater and it was just a scary experience I couldn't I couldn't pay attention to my kids I couldn't pay attention to anything I was doing it took me away I was just absorbed with this thing I was suffering with so as an example of to me it felt like it came out of nowhere Mm -hmm. like how did this happen and when I went to the doctor they were like Oh, it's we we don't know the reason. Luckily, I had a very good doctor in Chicago, and she she basically said, you know, I think it's stress. Have you looked at all these cha- changes and transitions in your life, and stress, right? That is one of one of the points as well. I thought, wow, <laughs> this is a, it really has an effect. It yeah. shows up physiologically. So I think in that way, we something comes on all of a sudden but it's been brewing there in the background.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, none of us obviously want to wait to address our stress until something like that happens. I mean, it yeah. is a terrifying experience, yes. especially, you know, the first thing I would think when I wake up is, oh, this is never going to resolve. But we yes. don't know that, of course. And yeah. um, uh, wow, that's that's incredible. That must have been so terrifying. Uh, So would you say that was kind of another good wake-up call in terms of how you reapproached your own health then?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, because it was that wake-up call, as you said, to pay attention to I am taking care of myself by maybe working out or maybe eating well, but what's happening with my thoughts? What's happening with my feelings? And what am I doing with that? And that was perhaps something... I discovered that I was ignoring. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what led me down this whole field of mindfulness and meditation. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's,
0: it's nice to hear when a professional, someone who does this for a living, has had that personal experience. You know, you don't necessarily want someone, uh, I mean, you know, you don't want <laughs> anyone to get injured. But I always thought, you know, if I had a sports injury, I don't necessarily want someone working with me that has never experienced a sports injury right. before. So a topic that has become very big, very, very topical is anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we all suffer with our own levels of anxiety, yes. And obviously, you know, there can be medical aspects of that, but I'm sure anxiety can be uh, stress can be a catalyst for anxiety as much as it is for anything else. So I'm I'm curious how, with the work you do, how you approach anxiety and how you uh, the process of the evaluation that you have with people.
1: Sure, I agree that most of us have experienced low levels of anxiety and with whatever goes on in your life, in the world, it can be heightened and we experience heightened levels of anxiety. And of course, caveat that if you feel like you have a lot of anxiety, you should seek a mental health professional for mm-hmm. this. Having said that, I also do work with people who have anxiety As long as they're also working with a therapist and it's safe for them to work with me, I will work with them in the capacity of using mindfulness and using meditation and using self-compassion techniques to address anxiety. My viewpoint and my understanding of it is that anxiety is rooted in what we don't see and what we don't acknowledge and what we push away. Right? We dismiss a feeling today, 10 feelings tomorrow and we push it down. There's this analogy that I like to use uh, for anxiety and and many other things like that. It's as if there was a crying baby in the house Mm -hmm. and you have this baby that crying is really bothering you. It's just not feeling good. So you take the baby and put them in the upstairs room and you can still hear them crying. Yeah. So you close the door, you still hear them crying. So you turn up the music. And you still hear them crying. So, you know, you put on headphones. And you can continue to do this stuff. But if you really allow yourself to notice, and it's there subconsciously, you know there's a baby crying up there. Mm -hmm. And you're not acknowledging it. You don't want to see it. You don't want to deal with it. And something like that can show up as anxiety. It can show up as something we are not attending to that we should. Mm. So my approach is to work with your body. We look at, we drop down into your body instead of thinking about anxiety. What is it? How is it? We drop down into your body and we look at the sensations. We look at the feelings and notice what it is and accept it and be curious about it. And that's usually a very good starting point for beginning to discover what is, what is this for you and how does it show up for you?
0: Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that, I mean, you know, it's, it's scary for us as individuals to try and accept it and delve into it ourselves, you know, yes. from my mind, delving into anxiety is just going to throw me into more anxiety, but you know, you could, you're, you're sort of that guide, that spiritual guide to help someone really look at it and say, don't worry, I'm here and we'll figure this out. I, I never really think of it as paying attention to the 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 way the anxiety affects your body, um, even just from a physical standpoint, you know, understanding where that comes from because we all experience it differently. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. We just dip our toes into it, right? So even if you're working with me, we don't, we're not full on just exp- going all the way. It's right. we dip your toes and Whatever you can handle, we do it gently.
0: Sort of seems like you're helping people find a safe and comfortable way to acknowledge the things they're experiencing and then begin to work on it. Uh, then they can begin to work on it themselves. Or again, if they're working with a therapist, they can delve into that with a therapist, too.
1: Yeah. Yes. Safety
0: is is very important. Yeah. That's great. You've mentioned to me a couple of times and uh, you it's on uh, your site as well that you do a lot of work specifically targeted for mothers. I am not a mother, but, uh, so I don't, but I know that everyone approach has to approach their anxiety or, or even just their health differently based on how they live their lives. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure mothers deal, I know mothers deal with quite a bit more stress and anxiety from, you know, the perspective of that job, that profession, if I may say. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about the work you do specifically with mothers and what you offer for that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is. I'm just very passionate about working with moms and working with mothers and helping them. Being that I am a mother myself, <laughs> about, you know, it's something. There's that firsthand experience. There's firsthand got. experience for. Um, I'm almost graduated now because my kids are both in college. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i I'm, I'm just very passionate about it because I think, especially in the U.S., there isn't so much support for mothers. Uh, without making it into a two-hour show, basic things like paid leave that is from the government, I'm sure there are companies that individually offer that, but we don't have a mandated paid leave for moms or dads. And if you look at mortality rates for mothers, especially in certain sectors, it is sh- shocking where the U.S. is compared to other nations other developed nations so yeah that is a very foundational thing which points to what little help that mothers get so i love helping mothers because moms are raising a human being and we are all affected by another human being so it is so important to raise somebody with love and kindness and gentleness and comfort because you're not gonna be more proud of anything than having a person that you know will be kind to someone, will be loving to somebody, will be understanding to somebody. And you can kind of feel like, you know, I did that. I mean, <laughs> they're their own person, but if, you, if any of us think about our moms, there's so much that comes up immediately, right? Yeah, yeah. So moms have a huge impact it doesn't matter your relationship, good, bad, but it's it's always a huge impact. So I just enjoy helping mothers because they're so, they're so dedicated and every mom is doing their best. I feel like every mother wants to do their best. And I'm sure there's people who think well, my, not not my mom. She was probably doing her best under her circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoy helping mothers. I support them in being more confident with every decision they make, letting go of their guilt and doubts and confusion. And there's so many questions. And this is something we come in without, you can't go and study this, right? Right, You can't go and get a degree. Um, You can read all the different books, but we're all individuals and not every advice applies to us. So it's important to know what works for you. What works for you with your past, with how you were raised? What are your patterns? And it needs to be an individual approach. And the books are great. I read them. And of course, they help you. But not everything works every time. Yeah. yeah. You you have to work with your child. Your child is an individual.
0: Do you find that mothers you've worked with come in with any specific preconceived notions or thoughts of how the mothering process should work or or you know the way that they're supposed to approach it because you mentioned these books and yeah I think you know uh something you might hear is a lot of you know your 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 grandmother's telling you you're not doing this right, right or your aunt is telling you that you're doing too much of that or too little of that and it seems like there's pressure put on people to not uh, where they don't feel like they can create their own perspective or come at it from their own point of view. They're always being enforced. Uh, they have others enforcing perspectives on them. So you do you find a lot of mothers have come in with these preconceived notions or these established ideals that may not be healthy for them or may not fit their lifestyle specifically.
1: Yes. Yes. Because there's this culture of perfectionism mm-hmm. <laughs> in motherhood and there is a lot of shame in not being perfect, right? So moms always feel like they are doing something wrong or they're worried and they come in with this idea that maybe others are doing it perfectly well, and they're not, and they're, they have all these doubts and they have all these fears because everybody projects perfection. In general, mothers don't talk to each other about what's going wrong, especially at the beginning. Is there some shame there or there's some shame there because even though there's no training, it's expected that you know exactly what to do. Mm. because you have so much love for your child, you know exactly what to do and if you don't, maybe you don't have enough love for your child. And no oh,
0: wow what a what a circle, <laughs> a vicious circle to be in. Yeah. Process. It,
1: exactly. It just brings more shame and guilt without the support and without the help. And to share another story from my life, I would say when, when I had my first child, I remember talking to friends because I wanted to breastfeed my, my, my baby. And it was a little bit difficult at first because, well, I think it's because the doctors told me that I needed to get up every two hours to feed the baby, 24 hours around the clock. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought, well, when am I going to actually sleep? There's never <laughs> more than an hour's worth of sleep. And I remember talking to friends and the friends at the time who had similar, we all had babies at the same time. And most of the time what you'd hear was, oh, yeah, my baby's doing great. My baby's sleeping well. My baby's breastfeeding really well. And I remember it made me feel like there was something wrong Mm -hmm. that I was doing, right? I'm not doing something right. I found out later that wasn't the case with a couple of them <laughs> because our husbands were friends, right? So, and that just made me feel bad like why are why is there so much shame because there is this desire to be perfect. And there is no such thing as a perfect mother. I mean, what is that? Right? right. What is a perfect mother? I don't think that that exists. We can be good enough mothers and we need to support each other and we need to we need to be helping each other. And I I think that's a very, very important thing to do.
0: It's something a book can't do.
1: Yes. Yeah. A book can give you advice on a lot of things. But like as you were saying, too, right, with the indie coming in as an individual and knowing what is right for you and knowing what is right for your child, because a lot of the books, I'm sure there are specialized books out there. Most of the books are geared towards a certain type of mom with a certain type of child in certain health, in a certain family structure, perhaps. So we're all individual and it needs to be looked at that way. Well,
0: I want to go back real quick then just... You know, you've talked about everywhere you've lived and everywhere you've been. And yeah. I, I, you know, was particularly struck by, uh, you know, the comment you made about, and I think uh, in general people have been aware of this, but the difference between how America considers mothers and how other countries consider mothers. And I'm curious between, you know, I know you moved from India when you were 12, right? But time exposed to Indian culture versus American culture versus culture in Singapore, how having that worldliness and being exposed to all these different places maybe uh, developed your thoughts on health and wellness because it's always nice to have perspectives from people that have been to other places and have seen other forms of, of
1: care and wellness. Yeah, sure. It is It is definitely, there's definitely a difference. I found, and in India, I was obviously young, so I wasn't thinking about health or wellness. However, I know that um, This, you know, this is something I hesitate to speak about because it sounds perhaps elitist because this isn't something available in the U.S. However, in India, for example, my mother had help and it isn't because... We were just rolling in it or anything (laughs) But it is easy to get help It is easy to get household help It is easy to get help with Housework or cooking or cleaning Or doing laundry So I saw how how it was for my mother To have that help And she could spend time with us And actually it was the same in Singapore It is easier to get household help So you are able to be more relaxed You're able to focus more on your kids when you're with your kids Mm -hmm. instead of um, having to worry about doing everything else that you need to do in the house outside of your work. I remember one time my daughter, when we were here, she must have been two and a half and uh, she said something to me. I was making dinner in the kitchen and I had laundry sitting there and she was just playing by herself and she said, mommy you're always working, you're always in the kitchen, I want Mm -hmm. you to come play with me. (laughs) right and it just
0: it, how do you take I, that how yeah. do you how do you you know process that something like
1: that yeah it is it is really hurtful to hear your child say that because they have realized this now and they have awareness of it and they can verbalize this so in singapore as well it was it's different that way because if you have a little bit of help you feel mentally relaxed so you're not in the kitchen all the time and your kids feel that and you form a different relationship with your kids. And in the U.S., it's different, especially moving back from Singapore. Now I see all the moms and they are going to work and they're taking care of the kids. And they're if you're trying to feed them healthy, because if you're not, there's a lot of guilt when yeah. you're feeding your kids fast food every night. So you better come home and make them a nice, healthy dinner. And all of that takes time. You have to go shopping at the right place and do all the cutting and do all the cleaning. And then you have to do the laundry. And you, know, you don't want to send your kids out without clothes that are not ironed or perfectly <laughs> clean or the cutest outfit. So you have to go shopping for the cute outfit and take care of the bills and take care of responsibilities at work. I mean, oh, it's I feel exhausted (laughs) just
0: thinking about it
1: (laughs) when I go through the list. And on top of that, you're supposed to be positive and happy and just look well-dressed with your hair done. And it's impossible. It is an impossible standard. And there should be more support and there should be more help for mothers. And you see a lot of other cultural things. For example, in Japan, where I visited, the, all the moms had this little stickers on their bags they would carry that uh, showed that they had a baby. You know, they it, it said in Japanese, but there was a, a sticker that sh- showed that they were pregnant. Hmm. So perhaps getting on the train, you can be give them a little more room or watch out for them. And in Singapore, I know they I don't remember exactly, but there's a good amount of leave you can have from your job. You keep your job. And also, there have a period of what they call confinement, which is a good... Maybe everybody doesn't think it's a good thing, but it sounded like it was a, a good thing from my perspective, that you stay in the house with the baby and you have somebody helping you. So it's just a time of unwinding and bonding and attaching to your child. And there's just a lot more rituals and structures in place, I feel, for things that, that help you just to be more connected to your child and more family help that is also important. Mm-hmm. You can have your mom or dad or somebody with you, which isn't always possible. So it affects your health.
0: Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, no, the confinement sounds great because you know, what that does is it, you know, I imagine, you know, the list you, you gave of everything that, you know, a mother has to do. And, um, uh, that confinement period gives you the opportunity to create that bond and where you're not running around stressing, have I created enough of a bond? Have I found the familiarity with my child that I want to find because I'm running around all the time doing it. Right. So, I mean, I think that's, that's the sort of thing where obviously if your job permits it or your life permits it, take advantage of that time, do that. Yeah, Yeah,
1: yes, absolutely.
0: Um, And you mentioned to me that you have a, you're developing a specific course for mothers right now that's going to be uh, launching soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm developing a a 12-week course for for mothers so we can do the work where you are confident in your mothering. You're not just confident in one situation, but long-term confidence where you know how to relate to your child, you're building a good relationship with them, you're building that bond of love and trust and honesty. Because at the end of the day, I can tell you when your kids are grown, which mine are now in, in college, <laughs> you know, you, you're, not, you're less worried if they're doing their laundry or wearing the right clothes, perhaps you are. But what matters is when they go through something difficult, when they go through a challenge, How are they going to respond and how are they going to handle it? Mm -hmm. Because life will certainly throw, definitely throw challenges and difficulties. And how are they going to respond to that? And how are they going to be with other people? How are they going to treat their friends? And how are they going to show up for other people? Because they will have an impact. So that's important long-term. And I'm building this course to, to work on all these elements that after you go through it, you will have the confidence and you will know based on your individual situation how to respond to your kids and how to build that relationship and how to build the family bond and build that sort of great family that, that you everybody wants.
0: Yeah, I mean, I imagine... You know, we um, almost as difficult as a situation the child might go through, there's as much or even more difficulty for a mother. And how do I respond to this in a way where because you want to sound confident, you want to be able to provide advice or give support to your child, but not make it sound like you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, So I I mean, for, for a mother getting into that thought process and preparing to be able to help your child through a difficult time is, you know, that's probably just as nerve-wracking as the child actually going through whatever they're going through.
1: Yes, because they need you to be the adult. They need you even if they're adults themselves, right? They are need we you- all ever
0: really adults? Yeah. I don't even, I'm, I'm still working <laughs>
1: yeah, on Yeah, I'm not sure. But, you know, <laughs> approaching adult, approaching adult. So they need you to to be in, I don't want to say in charge, but they're looking to you for that support. And you want to be able to be supportive. And whether it is through being vulnerable, I think vulnerability is an important element in your relationship with your kids. You want to be able to be vulnerable and say, I actually am not sure. I need a little bit of time to think about how to respond to this or help you with this. And that builds trust.
0: Yeah. But you don't want to feel guilty about saying that you know exactly i can imagine that being you know sort of you talked about mothers thinking that everything they need to do is right yes and i can you know uh i can imagine actually providing an answer to your child of saying i don't know let me think about it let's keep talking about it can almost seem as difficult as you know are you feeding them the right food or or you know uh, like you everything you'd mentioned before so having that confidence to answer with that vulnerability must be something to work on it's uh, i imagine that's a difficult process and a mindset to come to
1: yes it it takes uh, practice and it takes that inner confidence and knowing that you already have this relationship with your child and it builds on top of each other right it it builds from when from when they're brand new, actually, with how you physically respond to them and how you hold them. And once they start talking, it's through that conversation. They're very intuitive. Children are all very smart. (laughs) (laughs) They pick up on everything. Yeah. Uh, All the things
0: we don't even expect. Yes. Um, So is that mother, do you have a date for when that the 12 week Mother Courses is, is planned to launch? Um, I Or is there uh, uh, people can, I assume, look out for more information for that um, through your social media channels and your website and everything?
1: Yes, absolutely. You can uh, follow me on Instagram or check out my website and I will absolutely be updating that information when it comes out. I'm super excited about it. I've worked really hard on it. And um, yeah, uh, great. Well, Hina, thank you so much for
0: chatting with me today. This has been this has been great. This has been very educational. And honestly, even just talking to you here as we record this, I I've relaxed. I feel better about myself today. Uh, I woke up this morning being like, okay, I have to get this done and this done and this done. And then we've had this conversation and it made me think, okay, I need to Take a second, sit down, and just like plan out my day in a way that's going to be productive, resourceful, and and not feel stressed about it. So, thank you for having for for. I feel like I had a coaching session with you this morning. (laughs) Um, Are there any? Is there anything else coming up, upcoming events or news that you would like to our listeners to know?
1: Just to look out for courses. I always run courses on mindful self compassion, on mindfulness, and I'm going to be doing. One on laughter yoga, which I know we didn't get to talk about, but that's okay. <laughs> no, do you want to
0: talk about it? Do you want to? Um, do you want to uh, mention that a
1: little bit? I mean, sure, I can touch on it. You know, this is one of those things I do. It sounds like wow, there's all these different things, but they're part of that whole. Laughter is so important, and having raised kids, kids laugh so much, <laughs> and you, and moms, you just have to laugh along with them, even if you don't feel like it. It makes you feel better. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm um I'm a trained laughter yoga. Teacher, and I want to do this course. I mean, not, te- I want to teach this course. On laughter yoga, hopefully starting sometime in October so we can all get our laughter in before the holidays <laughs> and dealing with the family. It's so good for you, it uh, reduces stress and it's a great time. Yes. You think you can't laugh on demand, but you can. It <laughs> sounds
0: like so much fun, actually. That'd be a great thing to start my day with every day. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Forget the coffee, just give me my laughter yoga. Yes. I imagine it's a very energizing thing, too.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Well, Hina, thank you again for joining me. This has been a wonderful conversation. So you can find out more about Hina's work uh, and even book your free consult at www.bloomandbelong.com and follow her on Instagram at bloomandbelong.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Charlie. It has been wonderful. It's have had such a great time talking to you and uh, it's an interaction. You helped me to start off my day really well as well. well thank you so wonderful. much. Wonderful. I'll keep a lookout for laughter
0: yoga. And then okay. uh, of course, um, um, keep an, another eye out for the upcoming 12-week mother's course that Hina is going to be starting soon.
1: Yes. So, thank you so much. Thank
0: you.